You're listening to The Better Man Podcast, becoming life-giving men together. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to The Better Man Podcast. My name is Adam Tarno. Today on the podcast, we've got an interview and a conversation with Dennis Allen, who has served as a CEO in electronic software distribution, oil and gas, public and private corporations. He's kind of a turnaround specialist. He's going to talk about that. That's how he's had uh, so much experience with so many different organizations and different industries. Uh, But he also loves the church, and he has served as an elder, a deacon, a teacher, a speaker across all kinds of different church sizes, different denominations from Presbyterian to Evangelical Free to Baptist churches, military chapels, really all around or all across the world. He was also an Air Force F-15 fighter and instructor pilot, Um, and so he's got all kinds of degrees. He's been to Alabama, Xavier, Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. Uh, He lives right now in Reston, Virginia, which is close to my hometown where I grew up in Manassas, Virginia, in Silver Spring, Maryland. But uh, we talked today about his new book called The Discipleship Dilemma, Rethinking and Reforming How the Church Does Discipleship. Fascinating conversation about just some of the things that are going on in the church today and how they are impacting us as individuals and what we think it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. So it's an incredibly relevant conversation. You all are really going to enjoy uh, his thoughts and his perspective and hearing a little bit more about his background. So with all that, enjoy my conversation with Dennis Allen. Well, Dennis, welcome to the Better Man Podcast. And before I jump into the first question, I just want to highlight that even the fact that you and I are talking today, we're smiling and we're enjoying one another's company is evidence of the gospel of Jesus Christ, forgiving our sins and bringing us together. Because right now you've got an Alabama graduate and a Clemson graduate uh, on a podcast together, working together for the sake of the gospel to try to help men that are out there. So, uh, so hopefully people are encouraged by that. Are you encouraged by that? Oh, I'm really encouraged by it. And uh, we love Dabo Swinney. He went to the church we were at in Birmingham, and we sure hope to steal him back from you guys sometime soon. So love you. <laughs> All right, shots fired. Uh, we want to keep him for a while. He's been doing, been doing good work. But no, really, uh, I, I'm really pumped to have you on here today. Why don't we do this? Because you have such an interesting career. Um, I love hearing from the military guys that come on the podcast and just talk about things they've done. So you want to just spend just a couple of minutes, just give us some of the career highlights of, of where you started in the military and then what you're doing now? Well, yeah, it's sort of an attention deficit disorder uh, list, so I won't spend too much time putting people to sleep. I uh, went through undergraduate, as you've already accused me, at uh, Tuscaloosa at Alabama, and uh, from there into the Air Force. Um, I was uh, called from a very early age to a ministry to beautiful single young college women when I was in school. Uh, the Lord then moved me over into the military, and uh, that was an opportunity to go out and try to do two things. One, we were trying to introduce Russian fighter pilots to Jesus. That was one ministry that we had. And uh, the other ministry was we were trying to help the Navy guys figure out what it really meant as a disciple to be a fighter pilot. We were never successful in that one. And uh, from there, I left the Air Force uh, under the Lord's hand, very direct and clear call, went into the business world. And uh, my, my world is, um, I joke, is corporate repentance, Adam, um, which means the idea of repentance is turning around and some ideas going into corporations that are busted, having trouble helping them 
turn around. So I've been in a lot of different companies doing a lot of different things for a lot of different broken businesses to help try and set them back up. That's great. I love that. Uh, very well said. You've clearly said that a few times before because you've got those jokes down. Uh, very well done. Those work. <laughs> those work with all audiences. So those are approved. Uh, okay. So you're in the business world and you're spending quite a bit of time there. I like that idea of the repentance, trying to turn them around. That's a, that's a much better way of just uh, just saying, you know, whatever, you know, making it just sound like it's all it's all negative, right? There's some really good things that happen in repentance, corporately and spiritually, leading them towards something better. So then, you know, then you get an opportunity to write, and you write more to the church, right? You write a book on on discipleship and a dilemma and a problem that you're seeing there. And I know you incorporate a lot of business principles into that, but you want to take us on that journey for a second? Like, what what were you seeing that that caused you to go? All right, I, I probably need to put some pen to paper here on this subject. I started noticing something that was very interesting between both the business world and the church world that I was living in. Uh, ostensibly, in the business world, we face struggles today. You're, you're a business guy. You get this, too. People don't understand who they are. What's the mission? What's the call? Why am I here? What am I supposed to be about? And we see a lot of symptoms, a lot of churn, a lot of turnover, people walking out the door saying, you know, I, I don't know why I'm here. I'm just here for the paycheck, just for the benefits, so on. Well, interestingly for me, over the years, sitting through the chairs in roles as elder and teacher and deacon and member of a church, I kept seeing the same hauntingly similar symptoms inside churches. People don't know who they are, why they're there, why they should stick around, what is the purpose and the calling and the destiny they're in. And as we began to look at the research trends that are emerging, and today the trends are huge, we can explore that if you like, the symptoms, if you will, we're seeing that Christianity largely, think 60, 70, 80% of the population of people attending churches have no idea who and why they are. This was the genesis of the Disciple Dilemma book. So uh, say more about that on, on how this gets down to the churches. Like, is this, when you say the churches don't know who they are, is this the church leaders uh, that are a little bit confused? Is this the average church goer that would be confused? Can you talk more about that? You bet. And what I'd like to say to everybody on the, on the broadcast listening in on this thing, that uh, first of all, this is not a criticism of churches and it's not a condemnation of pastors. We love you. We're cheering for you. And if anything that I'm saying today in any way offends or hurts you, I want to humbly say this is totally Adam's fault for letting me on this show. <laughs> um, so with that, let's have a conversation about what I would call the 1,800-year-old traditions that have haunted the church since about the third century and have displaced the original model of discipleship that Christ gave us. They have distracted us from the call and substituted something for us that we think is perfectly good, right, and normal, but it's not biblical, it's not good, and it's not normal. So as an example, we have about six causes that we talk about in the disciple dilemma that we would say are part of the, the dilemma where leadership has looked to entrepreneurship, which dilutes discipleship and it distorts followership. So what we're looking at is root causes that are generating the symptoms we see today, causing discipleship to collapse. And this is important for everybody listening because this impacts you and I. We're infected with the hack, with the virus that this stuff is generating. Okay. All right. So do you want to talk about a couple of those root causes? Because I'm intrigued. I want to hear more. Yeah, let's pick a couple of them out. One of the cultural problems that we saw with Constantine, for example, in the fourth century was an influx of a huge number of people to the church who had no idea what Christianity was all about. The popularization of Christianity 
moving from a persecuted religion to the most popular fad in the culture of the Roman world, brought hundreds and hundreds of people to Adam's church, where Adam used to have six to eight people. There's hundreds of people standing around saying, we want to be a part of this action. And we saw something happen there. It was optional lordship. It was, I want to be a part of this church to be popular, but this idea of lordship, I don't need that. Just looking for the salvation, just looking for the status. That's one. You want to try another one? Yeah, well, hold on. I want to I want to talk about that one because the the lordship like if we were going to think about uh, a metaphor for what that would be is this if we went into the sports world is this uh, I just check the box scores for the Rangers versus I know all the players on the team and I'm following the, and I go to their games and I I'm I'm watching every game all 162 games. Is that a fair analogy or is there another way that you would describe that that difference between lordship and and not lordship. I love where you're going with that. Let me suggest that the idea is transforming people's minds from thinking that discipleship is actually being on the field, playing the game, into becoming a resume or a verb. I'm sitting in the stands, but I actually think I'm part of the playing team. When in fact, I'm sitting on the bleachers in the sidelines. So in a way, it's a little like a golfer going into a pro shop, watching a video, hanging around with a pro and suddenly thinking that he's ready to go out and play at the Masters. That's not biblical discipleship either, any more than it is a pro golfer's ability to gain his ability or skills. I love that. That's great. So, okay, so so we started to see this happen. This is something, it's not new here in 2023 that there are some that are just kind of uh, this influx, and I'm just kind of casually, I, I, I think I'm part of the team, but I'm really just sitting in the stands. Uh, that's not new. This is something that's been around for a long time. So, how did what, what did we see historically? How did the how did the church handle that issue, or did they not? And that's why we're still struggling with it. What, what are your thoughts there? Well, there were a couple of strategies that were played out in history with the idea of optional lordship. One is we just need to get you in the pews, get you putting money in the plate, let you listen to what the professionals are saying from the pulpit, and then send you home. You're done. That's it. You've been a disciple. For each of the folks listening to this broadcast, what my my cry my call to you would be is this. You have a purpose, you have a call, and you have a destiny. And part of that is, yes, being a part of a fellowship of believers. We need worship, missions, small group, Bible study and prayer. We need all that. But we need the fuller call of discipleship if you are to be who you are called to be in Christ, to follow your destiny. So in this regard, Adam, I would want to say to people, The discipleship that Christ has called us to is not simply a resume. It's not a verb, a set of actions. It is the ontic. It is the moment. It is who I am in motion every moment of my life following Christ. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, maybe one way. When I I remember doing college ministry back when I was on staff uh, at a church, and I had about a three or four year period where I was doing college ministry. And one of the ways that I would talk about what what I like what you're saying here with this optional lordship is... You know, when when you come to describe your relationship with Jesus, is he on a list of things that that are interesting to you, or or is he the very center of the list, and everything kind of flows in and out of your relationship with Jesus? And I hear you saying something similar to that, right? Like, is this, uh, oh, I'm a Christian, and I also uh, like to play tennis, right? Like, it's just a list of interesting facts about you, or is this the very core of your identity and your existence? Is that fair? Yeah, discipleship is not just one more a la carte item on my plate. What we're thinking about is this idea 
And this is where I'm talking about destiny for each one of us. Each one of us is a doulos, the Greek word for a bond servant, which means complete, unconditional surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no possibility. I mean to say this theologically. I mean to say this practically. There is no possibility that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ if you are not following the Lord Jesus Christ, fully surrendered to him as a bond servant. If you're just a fan of Jesus, as Sam Albury says, then what you've done is you placed yourself in sort of a cultic group, but you're not following the destiny that Christ has called you to be, that surrendered bond servant slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what I like about uh, about that message and what you're saying, Dennis, because if I think about, uh, I'll go back to when I'm in my early 20s and I hear you say what you just said. You talk about doulos, you talk about this bond servant, um, this being all in, this not just a fan, but a true follower of Jesus. My mind is going to jump to, okay, well, then I need to quit my accounting job and go on staff at a church, or I need to go join a monastery or something like that, right? And uh, and that's not what you're saying, because that's not what you're personally living right now in that sense, right? Like, that's not your your vocation. You're out there, as we talked about. You're in the business world. You're interacting in the marketplace. You're you're dealing with people. So how do you how do you try to live that bond servant nature? Uh, Jesus is my Lord in everyday living, right? And I know that's a bit just just a couple of quick hits there. I mean, we could talk for hours about how you do that, you know, in details. But just just a couple of of ways that you try to think through that. Thanks for teeing it up. I love the way you set that in motion. We have to think as believers, not monolithically. We tend to get trapped in this idea of being these zealots, where it's like give everything up and just wander off the reservation and become this um, sort of martyred follower for Christ. Well, okay. In the Bible, we see the story that there are common attributes of all disciples. And we can talk about what we learn, the people that we're studying under, the lives that we're living. But here's the other piece of the puzzle. Christ made it very plain that each one of us is the Imago Dei, a unique gifting, a unique person. You have a calling. You have a destiny. You have a purpose that equips your specific skill sets that the Lord God gave you to interact in the environment that you're placed in. So you can be a politician, a proctologist, a plumber. You can be an accountant. You can be any number of things. And that's the excellence of the disciple using those skill sets with the common structure of discipleship to run the race well. Getting away from the idea that just sitting in a pew and or going on a mission trip is all there is about being a disciple. That's great. Yeah, I, I love that. And somebody who who came to faith later in my life, uh, in my mid twenties, while while at school, or my early twenties, excuse me, while at school. I mean, I I just have really only known this golden era of the large megachurch, right? Like that in my in my faith journey here in the United States. That's pretty much all I know, which could really uh, lead you to believe that that's what it means to be all in is you've got to go on staff at a church or you got to be willing to sacrifice. I love how you just said, just sell it all and just, just wander around and uh, try to be John the Baptist 2.0. Right. And, um, and it's not that right. Faithfulness. I mean, that may be the story for some people, uh, but for most of us, it's going to be uh, trying to understand the, the place where God has us right now uh, and being fully surrendered to him right there in that moment. So uh, I like that message. I think that that's really helpful. You want to talk about another one? Uh, there, there's one on this list here that I see um, with one of these other ones about expecting discipleship to happen uh, by herding God's people together. Uh, that one really was intriguing to me. Can you can you talk more about that and what you see there? And, uh, and maybe what are some things that we can do um, to make sure that that's not happening or not the way we're thinking about it? 
we stole the idea from the pandemic. When you think about herd immunity, we said that the phrase that we're going to use is herd community. And the idea is if you just put a bunch of believers in a room and slosh them around together, you result in disciples. Now that's false thinking. But the idea that's so popular in so many churches today is if you come to church, if you hang out with us and do the activities that we're doing, then you are a disciple. When what we want to say to people is, those are the symptoms of a disciple, but that's not the root cause. That's not the ethos, the centerpiece of being a disciple. So that's, uh, that's the idea of herd community. Yeah. So again, if somebody's sitting there listening to this or driving around going, okay, well, what, how do I know if I've maybe bought into that or if that's uh, maybe an issue for me? What would be some of the other ways that, that somebody may be thinking or acting that would let them know, hey, maybe you need to, to think about that? Oz Guinness talks about the idea of the guidance of Scripture and the entrepreneurship of Scripture. And I really like that idea when he says that for each one of us, we have to understand what is the teaching of Scripture. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Those are very interesting guardrails that the Lord has set up for each one of us as individuals. And in that, we have the ideas of fellowship, prayer, praise, the, the development of our minds and lives in Christ. But there's also the entrepreneurial side of the equation, Adam. And that becomes this idea that you and I, moment by moment, I'm borrowing a phrase from Francis Schaeffer, this moment by moment spirituality, where we are pursuing with all of our heart, mind, and soul, the excellence in our work, in our families, in our communities, in our civics, to serve Christ, whether it is the sacrificial life of being a pastor in a church, or whether it's being a professional financier and accountant in a business world. And in that, in that, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be weird. So that people look at us and go, what makes you tick? What is the reason, to borrow from 1 Peter 3, what's the reason for the hope that you have in you out here in the world? Ah, that's good. Yeah, it's not just this Sunday thing or the Saturday night thing, right? It's not just uh, something that you go to a couple of days a week or a couple nights a week. This is a 24-7, 365. And, and I, you know, I just remember, you know, when that, again, early in my faith journey, so let's maybe say now I'm like mid-20s, late-20s, uh, because, again, it was so easy when I was a CPA going through busy season, working late into the night on financial statements, doing audits, it doesn't feel very spiritual. Like that, I don't feel like a disciple in that moment. I kind of feel, uh, I, I feel like a low level worker who's just you know making money for somebody else, and it just doesn't feel very, it doesn't feel very meaningful in those moments. But that mindset shift to go, no, that Jesus is in that moment, right? And you are doing. Uh, what you need to be doing in that moment. And so if you're looking at that balance sheet or you're writing that footnote or you're uh, making sure that all the financial statements tie together, you're doing that with excellence, that, that's what God has for you in that moment, right? That's not less than. That, that it may feel mundane, but that doesn't mean it's not meaningful. Uh, is my thinking right there? Is, that, is there anything there that you would, you would uh, smooth that out or polish that out a little bit? Beautiful setup. I, one of the th concepts that we talked about in the Disciple Dilemma is the idea of power. And modern culture has infested all of us with these different types of issues we're talking about. But here's how power swamps our minds as ordinary human beings. We all think we're supposed to be these amazingly impressive, famous, rich, totally successful human beings. And in the ordinary, there is no meaning or purpose in life. When, in fact, if we look at scripture, 
If we watch the way Jesus set up life, it is in the most ordinary moments of life that we see some of the most amazing impacts by disciples as they walk through life. As Philip walks by the Ethiopian and has a conversation with him, as the woman at the well, totally ordinary event with Jesus is occurring, we have to realize that our destiny is bound up in the ordinary and occasionally, once in a while, perhaps in the extraordinary. We have to get past this power play that has infested our culture as disciples. Uh, that is good. Dennis, that is so helpful because uh, that's not going to get any easier in this culture as we have more and more connections through social media and we see uh, more and more influencers showing up on whatever platform, right? Like some new YouTuber or some new person on Facebook or new person on LinkedIn who just seems to be dominating uh, there is going to be that constant pull at our heart for that power and that influence and equating that with true discipleship. And what I'm hearing you remind us of is, no, no, those are, those are exceptions. The, the rule, the norm is, is a little bit more mundane. I hate to say that word, but it's, I, I like what you said. It's just the ordinary life, and that's what Jesus set up for us. That, that's, that's so encouraging. It's so important for us all to understand the idea that ordinary comes from the ordinand. It is the destiny and the calling of the moment by moment that God has given to each of us. And our presentism is so precious to us. We can't live in the future and we aren't supposed to live staring at the rear view mirror in the past. We are called each of us to the ordinary, whether it is the president of the United States or it's me, just a guy nobody knows anything about, but I love Christ and I'm following him in whatever calling I've been set up to pursue. That's excellent. That's excellent. So, uh, Dennis, let's talk about this. So, um, younger generation, let's talk about Gen Z, millennials, you know, uh, younger millennials, some of the, the, the Gen Z that we're seeing that's now starting to come into the workforce. What encourages you the most about this, this rising generation of leaders that in a few years, they're, they're going to be the majority, right? In the workplace, these are going to be the leaders we're following, the doctors we're going to, the dentists that we're going to. It's going to be, going to be all them. Um, and so I, I know I've got my own things that are just so encouraging to me about this next generation. But I'd love to hear from you and your perspective. If you think about the younger generation, what fires you up? What, 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 what's encouraging your heart right now? One of the most impressive things that I see in the Generation Z folks that I'm talking to is this tremendous passion for the question, why? Not what is it I'm doing, not how is it I'm doing it, but why am I doing this? And in that is a fantastic basis for us to have conversations about faith. If you are a believer, you should pursue the why, the why God has placed me where he has placed me and the what God has placed me in. And that's a magnificent thing for the Gen Zs and, and of course, the millennials and the boomers as well. But in that regard, the why gives me such enthusiasm because whether believer or not, I can have conversations with Gen Zs and all I've got to do is toss out the whys of life. They want to unpack their stories. They want to interact with you and they want to know why you believe what you believe. What's the hope within you? That's so good. And that, I mean, that what a great to-do list for those of us that are not Gen Z, we're not millennials, right? So for Xers, boomers, um, that are listening and maybe just going, okay, well, how are we going to connect with this next generation? Or there's, you know, they speak differently than me. They seem to want different values or whatever it is. That, what a great to-do list. Right? We can just get together and start talking about those whys and really connect with them. Uh, and it provides a tremendous amount of value uh, to them. So what would you say to, uh, let's say, to the non-young uh, listeners right now that are maybe looking at all of these changes, especially spurred on by the, by the pandemic, 
um, all these changes and are maybe a little concerned, right? And a little feeling a little nervous right now. I know there's quite a few of those out there. What 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 would you say to encourage uh, those that are maybe just scratching their head, kind of shaking their head, going, "I don't know, I don't know, guys. I don't think the future's rosy and bright right now." Boy, what a tremendous momentum that statement has with so many people who are getting along in their years, right? And here I think is the crux of the matter for the older disciple. You are commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to stop being afraid. Get rid of the fretfulness. Get rid of politics as our answer. Societal morals and norms that I believe in are the answer. Those are not the answer. Our optimism, our eschatology, our end times, our view of the universe comes from the sovereign Lord God Almighty, not from the headlines and not from the politicos. So in that regard, I guess my advice to my generation and anybody kind of traveling close behind is knock off the fretfulness. You have no right to fear anyone but the Lord God Almighty. And if fear is at the center of your thinking and you're condemning people because you're afraid or you're condemning people because you're prideful about this, you better step back as a disciple and realize that what you're doing is you're making an idolatry out of your fear and placing the Lord God in a second place role. We need to be better than that. So that as Abraham Lincoln would say, after 40, a man is responsible for his face. Smile, lean into the world, and let's go out and talk about Christ. I love it. I love it. And who's going to argue with Abraham Lincoln, right? You just, you close with Abraham. They're going to go, okay, I get it. I get it now. No, that's a great answer. That is excellent. And I uh, I appreciate that. I mean, that that's what, you know, if I... Um, if I talk to, so I'm an Xer, if I talk to boomers that do seem like that's what I want to say, but out of respect, I feel like being younger, I can't say that. So I love that you as a, uh, as a fellow boomer were able to say that right there, because I just think that is such an important message, regardless of your generation, uh, for all of us, because there could be a tremendous amount of fear mongering out there right now. And that is uh, one of the commands that is consistent all throughout scripture is to fear not, right? Because we do uh, worship the sovereign Lord in all of this. So, uh, Dennis, let's make this the last point before I let you go here. Let's talk about Peter, right? Because in your book, you talk about how Peter is such a great model for all of us, regardless of our age, of what the life of a disciple is to look like. So can you talk more about Peter and just close out with that and how he can be a great example for all of us right now? I'm so encouraged because Peter dorked up so much in his walk with Christ. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ used him in a mighty and a wonderful way. Here's the piece that I think we should walk out with, Adam, if I had the closing statement. It would be this. In 1 Peter 3.15, we hear the words, set aside the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and always be prepared to give the reason for the hope to anyone who asks you. So in that regard, Culture today in Christianity says, be quiet, sit in the pews, involve yourself in a few activities. That's your job. Let the pros up in the pulpit take care of things. That is not the calling and the destiny of the disciple. We are to be prepared with a reason for the hope. That doesn't mean everybody's supposed to be an evangelist, but it does mean every single one of us is a disciple and is required to be prepared to give answers for the reason for the hope when people ask us. So in that regard, we've got to break out of the cultural cement that's been poured around us that's non-biblical and get back to the model of discipleship Christ gave each one of us. There's your call. There's your destiny. There's your purpose to be extraordinary for God. I love it. What... Uh... Perfect ending. Perfect ending to all that. Dennis, this has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like we could keep going on and on, but 
you know, we try to keep these to the, these episodes like to the uh, the length of a, of the average commute. So I'm sure people are rolling into their parking garage right now and and need us to wrap this up. But uh, people want to learn more about you. What would be the best spot to go to? You want to go to your website, LinkedIn. Uh, where, where do you want to point people? We're in all those spots. You can go to thedisciplededilemma.com. You can check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We're all out in those spots as well. And we want a conversation. We're asking people to talk about this. I might not be right, but I do want people to talk about, is discipleship compromised? And if so, then what? All right. I love it. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. But Dennis, great conversation today. Thank you so much for jumping on the Better Man podcast with us. Blessings in your ministry, Adam. Every week here on the Better Man Podcast, our aim is to give you real tips on how you can be the better man that God has made you to be. And we do this because we meet guys all the time who want to be a better man, but they don't know how to do it. Most men get their cues on what it means to be a man from the culture. And although there are some great examples out there, we believe the most common cultural examples of masculinity fall short of what God wants from us. Well, today, in addition to this podcast, we want to let you know about a bonus resource. It's called Five Ways to Be a Better Man. It's a free e-publication written to simplify and encourage your pursuit of biblical masculinity. It's actionable, it's quick to read, and it's free. All you have to do is go to betterman.com, put in your email address, and you will be able to download this publication called Five Ways to Be a Better Man. So go on out there right now betterman.com. Once again, that's betterman.com.